what he has done for the sport, um, regardless of social media. He's brought the attention from the Hollywood crowd, you know, the people that are into you know television and, and Game of Thrones, to, to these strength sports. And now, thanks to him, I believe that strength sports will start earning a little bit more money, still not as much as the other sports that I've mentioned before. Um, but I think that's got a, it's a huge contributing factor to, to the success of strength sports today. Welcome to the Bar Band Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today I'm talking to Sebastian Oreb, better known online as Australian Strength Coach. Sebastian has trained athletes from professional rugby players to elite powerlifters, and he's also the strength coach of 2018 World's Strongest Man, Hoffler Bjornsson. Sebastian joins us to talk about his unconventional path in strength, the ways in which personal strength goals impact how you coach, and why building personal relationships with athletes is so important in establishing trust. We also talk about how a single day seminar and a bench press cue was what convinced Hawthor to hire Sebastian as his coach. Also, I want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbed podcast in your app of choice. I'd also recommend subscribing to the Barbed newsletter to stay up to date on all things strength. Just go to barbed.com slash newsletter to start becoming the strongest person in your gym today. Now let's get to it. Thanks so much for joining us today. I have to ask, and I, I knew I was going to ask this question to start off. You're best known as Australian strength coach. My question is, is there like a cabal of national strength coaches? Is there someone who's like American strength coach, Canadian strength coach, Chinese strength coach, and you all like share insights? There is now, but the way that I, I, I came across the name Australian strength coach was actually by accident. Many years ago, I was developing a website and I wanted the website www.strong.com and you know for those of you who have tried to find uh, uh, create websites and and uh, find domain names you'll know very quickly that that name just does not it's not available and nothing with one word.com is available so then I tried you know two words.com uh, which wasn't available and I came across after about over a thousand different name choices Australian strength coach was available so I just took it uh, I I it's always interesting to to hear the story behind brand names. Coming up with it for for Bar Bend was a bit of luck. It was actually available. I remember when we when we bought it. But when you go to events or when people see you in person, do they do they just call you Australian Strength Coach and maybe not know your actual name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I walk down the street and people scream out uh, Australian Strength Coach, and even people that I know, um, but they 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 knew me first through social media. It's quite funny. They come up to me and they say, "Hey, Australian Strength Coach." I mean, "Hey, hey, Sebastian." And I kind of have a little laugh to myself, but it's just the way it goes. People see that name more than they see my actual name. So uh, it, it is what it is. Well, I mean, it, it's a fantastic brand and your your brand is international. You're someone, well, well, maybe earlier in the year and before that you were traveling around a lot. We see you filming footage and, and getting content internationally. And it's a way to kind of lead the conversation. People know where you're from. They know what you're about. 
And it just it just makes it easy. It's like, okay, let's get down to brass tacks then. Absolutely. And, and you know, I've got a, a marketing uh, manager that I work with. And, and two years ago, he told me something which was really strange. He said, Australia is trending, um, not just in the fitness industry across the world. A lot of people see uh, that this country as kind of like an exotic race and people want to be affiliated with an Australian um, and I thought, wow, that's not why I chose the name. I am from Australia. Um, but, you know, that's convenient as well. So I hope that's the case. Well, we'll see if, if we catch your accent slipping and it turns out you're just a guy from Ohio in the United States. <laughs> I can assure you that's not it. That would be, that would be the best podcast we, we've done. That'll give people the real, the real insight. That'll get the most downloads. So Australian strength coach uncovered. No, I'm, I'm unmasked. <laughs> Well, you are a strength coach, so we're going to spend most of the podcast talking about that and and not the country you're from, although we might come back to Australia. <laughs> when I first came across your content, it was, uh, I'd say, probably in the last two years, uh, although you'd been known long before that. Uh, you were kind of deep into powerlifting training. I see you coaching Hofthor Bjornsson and a lot of strongman athletes. So that's kind of the slice of strength sports and strength training that I first came across you with. Now, I know you've touched in uh, across multiple strength sports, right? You work with weightlifters, you work with powerlifters, you've worked with some CrossFitters, you name it. How do you describe your own current training style right now? And for folks who might not be familiar with you, what are you training for? Okay, so I guess um, we'll, we'll do a top-down approach with this. I'm, I'm training for a powerlifting competition, so my training is very uh, specific towards achieving, I'll say, it, a 1,000-kilogram total. I, I think it's like 2,200-pound uh, total uh, for the Americans out there. Um, and uh, so my training is, is quite specific to powerlifting, but I got into strength training uh, originally uh, you know, I'm 38 years old and I've been in the industry for 17 years and I started off, uh, I won't say a bodybuilder because I've never competed in bodybuilding shows, but, you know, with the typical Arnold Schwarzenegger encyclopedia type of approach of training, um, you know, and I wanted to impress a girl um, who ended up being my wife. So it worked. Um, it worked. That worked. That worked. That was, um, you know, when I first started training, I was probably around 18 years old. That's when I really started taking it seriously. But I was first introduced to the world of strength through a professional strength coach for a South African rugby team called the South African Blue Bulls. And he became a personal trainer at the gym that I was working at, which was a commercial gym in, in Sydney called uh, Fitness First. And I was intrigued by his title. He was a professional strength coach. And I didn't know anything about strength training. I just thought, you know, men train weights to build muscle and women do cardio to burn fat. And that's how we train. And so I was intrigued by this whole idea of strength training. So I employed him as a personal trainer and it had nothing to do with powerlifting. It had nothing to do with strength sports. It was just to do with being strong. Uh, you know, for him specifically, it was for rugby in, uh, you know, in, in South Africa. And um, so I thought, let's, let's see what this is about. And he introduced me to some very um, simple concepts that I had no idea about. Things like progressive overload, you know, I, I used to train and, and, you know, be of the belief that the muscles didn't have a set of scales in them and you just needed to, you know, train for a pump, as Arnold would say. And, um, you know, how much weight is kind of, that you're lifting is kind of irrelevant. Um, as long as you feel a great stimulation and you train close to proximal failure, you're going to be developing a muscle mass. Um, so anyway, so I changed this whole – I mean, I, I plateaued after about five years of training this way. 
I stopped building muscle and I, you know, I, I kind of lost a lot of interest. So I changed sports. I took up Brazilian jiu-jitsu and kickboxing. And, um, you know, so then I employed this strength coach. I thought maybe he can get me stronger for my sport. Anyway, for the first time in I don't know how many years, I, I was following a very simplistic model of periodization and we were monitoring how much weight I was lifting week after week. And for the first time in I don't know how many years, I started actually building muscle again. Uh, and that was because I was just, I was, uh, you know, monitoring how much weight I was actually lifting and making sure that I was uh, following, you know, simple uh, progressive overload principles. And so that's when I t- kind of flipped my whole world upside down and I turned towards strength. My goal was uh, muscle building initially and that stopped. Uh, and then when I turned to strength training, I started building muscle again. So, uh, so anyway, um, cut to the chase. I started I, I, um, through college in, in, uh, in Sydney, I was given a task to create a program for a professional athlete. Now, because I was doing uh, jiu-jitsu back in the day, it was a very small community. This was over 10 years ago. It was about 10 years ago. And I knew a lot of the professional fighters. So instead of uh, creating a mock-up case study, I approached the professional fighter and offered to be his coach for free. Um, so he was an MMA fighter. This was my first professional athlete that I was coaching. And uh, no other coaches in my area were coaching professional fighters. So even though I only had one professional athlete, I was known as the guy that trains the pros. So soon after this, I got my next professional fighter. He was a boxer. He was a middleweight champion of Australia. And then after that, I got my next professional athlete, which was a powerlifter. And I wasn't a powerlifter at that point. I was just training, uh, you know, to be strong for martial arts. And, um, you know, and it just evolved. And and actually, um, you know, probably about five years into this, I became, I, I competed in my first powerlifting competition because I thought, you know what, I need to start walking the talk and practicing what I preach. And powerlifting was kind of like uh, the, the cross between, like I didn't have the time to, um, you know, train jiu-jitsu if I wanted to, uh, uh, be successful in my career. So I thought, you know, what do I have to do to, to walk the talk, practice what I preach, to show some credibility for my athletes, for my clientele? And powerlifting just so happened to use squat, bench, press and deadlift, which you don't have to be a powerlifter to train those movements. You know, they just so happen to be quite beneficial for anyone that wants to get strong. So I thought, you know, that's going to cross the bridge between uh, – sorry, bridge the gap, I should say, between, uh, you know, non-strength sports and, uh, you know, someone like me who just wants to be a good good coach. So I became a powerlifter and then uh, I became a fanatic at it and I just so happened to get pretty good at it um, because I put all my time in that space. And, it, like, it wasn't making me money as a powerlifting coach. People were intrigued by, um, you know, my ability to lift heavy weights and I was a coach for the pros so kind of it all happened by accident and as you know my name is Australian strength coach that wasn't like me choosing the optimal name it was just kind of one of the only ones that was available um, but you know it was a sequence of events that happened like this I had a list of professional athletes uh, under my name I had a pretty good powerlifting total at that point and um, we with my wife and her sister they've got a business called base body babes and uh, they were quite popular on social media in Australia. And we collaborated and we uh, opened a gym together. And opening the gym uh, attracted another larger audience again. And this is when I met Hafthor Bjornsson. So this was in 
by the time it was 2016, um, he came to my gym and I had a, a, a list of uh, really strong athletes from professional rugby players to MMA, like UFC fighters, uh, and of course, powerlifters as well. And Hafthor came to my gym to present um, a seminar from, he was employed by a company called SodaStream. And anyway, after the day of holding the seminar, he was happy with the way that I coached and he approached me and asked me to be his coach. Um, after, what, after one day? After one day. Well, this one day was quite interesting. There was a few kind of uh, highlights of this day. One of them, we were demonstrating the bench press. And, you know, my job was to showcase Hafthor as the amazing man that he is. And that's a really thing to, easy thing to do because <laughs> you look at the guy and you think this is a different breed of human, you know. And, um, you know, one of the questions, you know, we were demonstrating a bench press and I asked Hafthor in front of the class, what's, what's your uh, personal best for a bench press? And he said uh, 230 kilograms. And, you know, I was there just to display how amazing he was. And I, I walked around the class. I said, who in this class can bench press that? That's five blue plates and a, and a little one on each side. Who can do that? You know, and everyone's mouth, their jaws dropped and they're like, wow, of course we can't. And my wife, you know, my biggest fan, she jumped in and she said, you can. And I thought, that's not what I was asking. I was just trying to, you know, show off half thought. And I saw him in the, you know, my peripheral vision kind of looking, look at me, kind of sizing me up. And we were demonstrating this bench press technique and he put up his hand. He was one of the, the presenters and he put up his hand. He said, Sebastian, do you mind if I try this technique? So the first time he tried it, he was able to uh, bench press 240 kilograms. Um, and that was kind of one of, the, one of the highlights of the event where he saw that, you know, I, I had a good understanding of movement and I was able to get him to, to bench press, you know, 20 pounds extra or 10 kilograms extra in, in one uh, session. So, so, yeah, so it was one day of, of, um, of working with him that he, he was able to ask me. But, you know, he was still not, not completely sold. It took a lot, of, a lot of years of working together before we started to really, really work well. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's how it happened. That was in 2016. And, um, yeah, since then it's opened up um, my world to, to a lot of high-level uh, powerlifters and strongman athletes especially um, you know, I, I, I train a list of people that are competitive in the world's strongest man at the highest level. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much a, a 10 minute spiel of, of how I started and how I got to where I am now. Well, you certainly, uh, I'm sure you thanked your wife for, for that, for speaking up and, and being your biggest advocate, because sometimes you don't, you don't want to present yourself, right? You don't want to be the guy who always walks the walk when sometimes, you know, you think your role is just to talk up other athletes and to be the coach. And coaches, they don't necessarily like to show off. I think social media is a great tool. If people go to Australian Strength Coach, if they go to your Instagram account, for example, I mean, they can see you're someone who really values strength and is training at a high level yourself. If you don't necessarily have that kind of proof of concept, right, you can be your own you can be your own best marketing is what I'm trying to say here. And it seems like that's something that's really paid dividends for you over the last few years. No doubt about it. Marketing and in particular marketing through social media um, has been so beneficial for my, my entire career. Everything, um, my entire income comes through um, social media and specifically Instagram. You know, I, I tried to dabble a little bit in YouTube and, and podcasts as we're doing now. Uh, but, but yeah, my main source of income really comes through Instagram, and it's an interesting thing. A lot of people look at Instagram and see it as a, a childish thing or something of vanity and narcissism, but it's a really beneficial business tool. And um, yeah, you know, thanking my wife for tuning my horn 
um, you know, for, for that event in particular. But also, you know, when I first started off with, with Instagram, she's the, she's the one that forced me to get into Instagram. I had, you know, she used to laugh at me when I had only 100 followers saying, you know, when are you going to get to 200 followers? You know, at this time, she had about um, 500,000 followers on Instagram and she had a, a really successful business, her and her sister. And, um, you know, that also was very appealing for a lot of people. I'd opened a gym with these two great looking girls, you know, that, that uh, had a, a, an amazing following in Australia through social media. So it, it, that's what actually attracted guys like Hathor to my gym. It was actually um, a public relations company that reached out to, to my wife because they had a big following and they said, we want to host an event and we want a bunch of industry influencers in the area to attend this event, take photos with Hathor, tag SodaStream, and that's how we're going to make our money. So, you know, like the, there's so many reasons why the collaboration with, with these girls has, has done so many great things for my business. You know, I, I'm going to put it out there. There is a lot of amazing coaches out there that are just not very well known because they haven't done their bit to market themselves. It doesn't make them bad coaches, you know, but it's, it's like there's so many facets to being uh, successful in the industry and marketing plays a huge role. Who are some coaches that you go to today to expand your own knowledge? Because strength is it's a constant learning process. And we learn more about the human body every year, the impact of strength training long-term, the benefits of strength training long-term for the human body. New research is coming out all the time. It's a very active area of study. And sometimes it's mind-boggling to think what we don't know. But when you're looking to kind of expand your own knowledge, whether it be practical applications with athletes in the gym or just your own knowledge of, of human physiology and the impact of strength training, where are some, uh, who are some people you go to, I should ask? So perhaps I can start with some of the people that I have gone to first. Yeah, that'd be great. My, my first mentor was um, Ernie Lillybridge Sr. Now, in 2014, there was the World Powerlifting Championships in Australia, and I had uh, sponsored Eric to come over, and we had a whole bunch of, like, I, was, I was, played a big role in the Powerlifting Federation that was holding this event. So a bunch of the representatives for this federation, their job was to sponsor an athlete. And my athlete was Eric Lillibridge. And with Eric came his father. So I had firsthand experience in seeing, so his father's his coach. Like, so his dad's a great athlete as well, but he's, he's an even better coach. And something that I admired so much in his coaching style was the love that he had for his athlete. Now, love for this athlete because that was his son. That's that's Eric Lillich, who's, for those who don't know, he's a current um, under, what is it, 308, you guys call it, 140-kilogram uh, powerlifting division. He's, he's number one in the world. And um, his father is the coach. But I, I didn't look at it as a father-son relationship. I looked at that as an athlete-coach relationship. And the love that he had for his athlete was just amazing. And it was a, it allowed Eric to perform at this highest level. And I've been so, um, it's, it's such a motivation to see someone like this and the result that they're able to achieve just by, it's not science, it's, it's the art of coaching. Don't get me wrong, he's got a lot of great knowledge as well, but he taught me a huge amount about uh, building great relationships with your athletes. And that's something that I've taken with me to this day. A lot of my athletes, I've been to their houses, they've been to mine. We're, we're great friends. My wife is friends with their wives. My children are friends with their children. And it's a huge part in the success of a lot of the athletes that I've worked with. Now, someone else that I work with, someone that I believe 
um, any strength coach should affiliate themselves with, and that's a rehabilitation slash movement specialist. Now, I work with a guy called Andrew Locke in Australia. He's one of the best physiotherapists, or I won't call it a physiotherapist. I'll call it a rehabilitation specialist. People come to him with injuries and he fixes them. And I've uh, teamed up with him many years ago. And since working with, with this guy, strength and rehabilitation have so much carryover towards each other. And in fact, I've spent a lot of time educating myself on rehabilitation and something that I say a lot of. The, the techniques that I use to rehabilitate a body are the same ones that I use to strengthen a body and vice versa. So, so they're two, um, you know, really key players in, in uh, my development so far. There's, there's a lot on the way as well. Um, but recently, you know, I've been tuning into, you know, the American world a lot lately, you know, and this is to do with marketing. There's a lot of Americans that really put themselves out there as, as um, academics. I'll name a few of them. Uh, you know, Dr. Mike Isretail, um, Eric Helms, uh, Greg Knuckles, um, uh, Mike Zordos. These are guys that are putting out some really great information. Uh, you know, I, I don't use them as my coach at all, but, you know, like these are guys that are putting out amazing content and I'm able to learn off. Uh, Brad Schoenfeld, um, you know, the, I, I'd say the, these are some of the highest respected names in the industry. Yeah, and I certainly uh, a few of those names we've actually had on the Barben podcast, and we've been lucky enough to talk to. And I, I go away from some conversations inspired. I walk away from some conversations a little pessimistic about myself sometimes, and I walk away from some conversations where I'm just like, "Wow, I was not the smartest person on that call, and it wasn't even close." And talking to someone like Greg Knuckles, you certainly feel that walking away. Of course, one thing I like about a lot of those folks is they don't just stick in the academic realm. They are applying the same principles that they're interested in researching and learning more about into their own strength practice. And that's really cool to see. And I think it's one reason why they kind of stick out in our minds, right? Because they're walking that walk. Absolutely. And it's something that I respect about academics at the highest level is these guys aren't afraid to say that they don't know the answer as well. You know, I've been doing this for so many years. I forget what it's called, the Dunning-Kruger effect. The less you know, the more you think you know. And the more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know, to put it simply. And, you know, when I first started in the industry, I thought I knew everything there was to know because I'd read the Arnold Schwarzenegger Encyclopedia back to front. And, you know, it was only a matter of time before I, you know, when I, when I was introduced to this strength coach that I worked with, and it was like, you know, like I said, a simple principle of like progressive overload, this was foreign to me. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not foreign to a lot of people in the industry these days, um, and it should be the staple of a lot of people's uh, understanding of how to actually get better. And, um, yeah, so it's something that I, I love doing. I'm an educator myself, and the, the more years that go by, the more I learn, the more I realise, like, I come away from these discussions that I hear from these high-level academics realising how much I don't know, and it kind of it's a good and a bad thing. One, it kind of like as an educator, it makes me think, holy shit, I've got some study to do. You know, it, it can't stop. Like there's so much new information that's coming out and there's so much shit that I just absolutely don't know. Um, but, you know, like I said, that's what I respect about these guys. You know, the, the higher the level of academic that they are, the uh, more comfortable with telling you that they don't know the answer. They don't know everything. Um, you know, and, and I really admire that. All right. So if there was one athlete you could work with and you could coach leading up to a competition, so you know, through a training cycle of moderate length up to a competition and through the competition in the strength world, who would it be? Can't be someone you've worked with before. 
Okay. Um, in the strength world, I'd have to say someone that I love watching them perform, uh, Matthias Kiliuskowski. So that's um, a world's strongest man athlete. He's come second so many times. Um, he's, he's just about to come first. I'm sure that if the world's strongest man comes up this year, um, who, who knows what's happening with the COVID situation, I, I'm sure he's going to come first. Uh, and he he deserves it. But that's someone that I admire as an athlete. I think he's a lot smaller than a lot of the current uh, World's Strongest Man competitors, but his performance is a lot better. And it, it, he's just a freak of a human. That's that's probably the name that I'm going to give. Is there, would you put him under the label of most under the radar elite strength athlete who's poised for, not that he hasn't broken through. He's done remarkably well in competitions, but he, you know, in that sport, you kind of, you kind of have to have that title to really break through to the public eye. Absolutely, because the public eye don't know the sport very well. Um, within the community, he's very well known. Um, but yeah, to the rest of the strength world, um, the strength strength is is getting more and more popular. I'll admit it, but you know, it's it's such a low p- uh, paid sport compared to things like boxing, MMA, uh, tennis, uh, you know, football. Uh, powerlifters and strongmen don't get paid much at all, so it's not televised these events. So. You know, a lot of people don't know these names because they're just—it's just not—they're just not, ex- they're not exposed to it. But um, to, to become known, you have to win those shows. So I do believe he will win the next one, uh, and that will put his name on the map to the non-lifting community. Um, yeah, absolutely, no doubt about. It. He's he's also like if we have a look at the past world's strongest men athletes that have really shone through and become really popular. Um, there's a lot that happens. So like Hathor Bjornsson, he's a really charismatic guy. Eddie Hall, really charismatic guy. Like these are the most popular guys in the strength sports, um, but they haven't actually, like Zydrunas Zabiskas has achieved the most out of any of the athletes in the world of, in, in all time, but he's not as popular as these guys. Um, and, and it's unfortunate because, you know, your athletic ability isn't what makes these guys popular. It's the market, marketability as well. Well, I mean, some of that's probably comes down to social media because when Zadrunas was winning title after title, I mean, he's in the conversation for greatest strongman athlete of all time. He's probably got it, honestly, by a pretty significant margin as far as trophies. He actually said he has to have a separate room in his house for trophies. Uh, some of that is due to timing because, I mean, he was competing at a high level up till age 40, 41, 42, setting world records even into his late 30s and 40s. But when he was in his prime, call it early to mid-30s, it was kind of before the age of social media in strength sports. So you do wonder what impact that timing had on his global popularity. No doubt about it. That's such a huge point. Uh, And that's what I keep on bringing back to, what social media has done for so many people, so many businesses. You know, people look at it as like a childish thing. Um, you know, uh, but, but it's not. It's it's what's putting people on the map. It's what's making people a lot of great income. Um, but but at the same time, yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, I'll go back to Hathor, and of course it seems like I've got a heavy bias towards him. But he, he was a hugely popular guy outside of strength sports. You know, he was the mountain from Game of Thrones. And every time I'm with him, a lot more people recognise him through Game of Thrones than they do from, uh, you know, World's Strongest Man. So I believe what he has done for the sport, um, regardless of social media, he's brought the attention from the Hollywood crowd, you know, the people that are into you know, television and, and Game of Thrones, to, to these strength sports. And now, thanks to him, I believe that strength sports will start earning a little bit more money, still not as much as the other sports that I've mentioned before, 
Um, but I think that's got a, it's a huge contributing factor to, to the success of strength sports today. It's, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno 2.0. It's people making the crossover to entertainment and then shining a light on what popularized bodybuilding in the, in the 70s and 80s. Now what could popularize sports like powerlifting, strongman, weightlifting, 2020 and beyond. No doubt about it. You know what? You, you mentioned the name Arnold Schwarzenegger. You can't really compare to that. Like that's, that's an even higher level again. But, um, you know, that, that guy's done so much for not just uh, bodybuilding, but also strength sports, which is an amazing thing because there's a clear divide between bodybuilders and, and strongman. But when you go to the Arnold show, like he's got, he loves the strongman and he kind of, he puts it up on the pedestal right next to the bodybuilding. So he's done a lot of amazing things as well. Yeah, certainly, certainly someone who's been, uh, I mean, the impact he's had on the strength community and not just bodybuilding, it's really immeasurable at this point. It's, it's completely outsized and immeasurable. I have to ask, speaking of Hofthor, you and I have, have, we might have a few things in common, but one thing I know we have in common is that we've both tried to eat like Hofthor for a day. And uh, you did a better job than I did, let's put it this way, but a video you made with Hofthor about a year and a half, two years ago, where he walks us through his diet over the course of a given day. I tried to follow that in the bar band office, bought pounds of rice, steak, you name it, tried to follow it to the calorie. And I made it to meal three and just about had to tap, I just about had to tap out. Um, I got to ask, how'd you feel after that? How'd you feel after trying to eat like Hofthor for a day? It, it was quite interesting. I mean, I, I've been with Hofthor through many different styles of his diets. Like some days, like as he gets closer to the competition, his dedication with his food is, is right up there. Um, you know, uh, when he's even further out, so when he's months out, he's a little bit more relaxed. He'll have desserts, he'll have pizzas, he'll have ice creams and things like that. Um, but that day in particular was following uh, very much what Stan Efferding had prescribed. That's his vertical diet. Now, I've got to be honest with you. That's been a huge influence to the way that I eat today. I don't definitely don't eat that many calories every day now. Um, but the reason why I value that type of um, uh, nutrition plan is – I mean, the idea behind the vertical diet is that it's food that's easily digestible. So white rice with – with uh, did you put dextrose on oh, your rice? We, we put dextrose, but we on short notice, all I could get was, was orange-flavored dextrose. So everything, everything tasted like orange beef. Well, that, that wouldn't taste too nice. But the way that <laughs> these guys cook it, it's, it's really nice. It's really palatable food. So it's, it was actually quite easy not only to digest, but it's, it's really nice food. Um, and same with the steak compared to the beef mince. The beef mince was also a lot easier um, to consume. Now, um, what happened with me on that day is the only thing that tipped me over was the end of the day he made me drink a litre of milk. Now, that's the only thing that my stomach didn't agree with and I couldn't actually get through it. So, so that was where he beat me. I didn't actually finish it and that was all it was. It was like a, a small a portion of, of, it was probably about a hundred mils of milk that I couldn't consume because I was literally about to explode. Um, but that was just, you know, I wasn't able to tolerate that much dairy, but the rest of it, um, it's very much how I eat today. I'm probably, I'm just trying to think about the pounds. I'm about 270 pounds or 260 pounds currently. Um, so I've only gotten that way by, by using these same principles. It's easily digestible food. Um, you know, the, the chicken stock as well. Were you, were you doing that? Oh, yeah. I, and when I say we were following everything, I mean very specific. Oh, the only yeah. difference was that our dextrose, we had to get flavored dextrose on short notice. Oh, but okay, the chicken okay. stock, the oatmeal was the same. Everything was the okay. same. Well, it's all like, in, in my opinion, that's 
you know, people talk about vertical diet from a fat loss or a muscle building perspective. I don't know it from a fat loss perspective, but from a muscle building perspective, that's where it has a lot of merit for me. Like all of the food, like the, the chicken stock, um, it kind of just moistens the food and just makes it easier to swallow. Um, and that's the hardest part for me for eating a high calorie diet is you're not hungry, especially when you're training hard. Um, I'm not sure what else you were doing on that day, but the only reason why I was able to keep up on that day is we weren't training that day. So it was purely, we had nothing on at all. It was purely dedicated to making that uh, a food video. I mean, of course, Hafthor has the dedication to, to eat that way while he's training as well. But for me, I'd say that's the only reason I was able to get through it because I had nothing on that day. I just want to clarify, the first bite of everything was always delicious. It's getting toward the end of the meals where it was just like, and I'm not, I mean, I, I'm about 100 and, at the time, I think I was about two hundred pounds. I'm a little, I'm a little, little leaner than I was then. So uh, I don't, I don't know why I thought I stood a chance. Although the milk was actually the easiest part for me. That was ironically the easiest part for me. It was the right. Yeah. Um, well, Seb, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. We've said it kind of ad nauseum over the course of this conversation, but just to repeat, where is the best place for people to keep up to date with the work you're doing, the training you're doing, and the education you're putting out? Without a doubt, Instagram. I try and put as much uh, free information as possible. Um, of course, I have a business. I'm an educator. I have online uh, seminars now since uh, COVID. I used to do a lot of face-to-face education, but that's not possible now. So we've changed to online. Um, I'm trying to think, I don't like to be the salesy kind of guy, but I like to give as much uh, free information as possible. On my website, a lot of people ask me questions every week, you know, how do I get strong? How do I get... And it's like, it's not a one-word answer. Um, so, so I've written a whole bunch of great new articles that are on my website. That's australianstrengthcoach.com. Uh, my Instagram page is at Australian Strength Coach. Um, you don't have to buy anything off me. You don't even have to like me. But, you know, when I was uh, up and coming in the strength industry, I didn't have a huge amount of mentors uh, and, and readily available information for me. And a lot of the things I had to stumble across myself, I've spent a lot of years of doing the wrong thing, which I don't regret because I know a whole lot of what not to do. But definitely if I had information like what I'm putting out for free, um, I think I would have achieved what I've achieved a little bit quicker. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's fantastic learning from you, talking one-on-one and and uh, I absolutely love tuning into the content you put out. So hopefully we'll get to do it again sometime. And uh, until then, thank you for joining us. David, thank you so much for having me. I really love this conversation. And yeah, I look forward to doing it again.